Oh, good morning, everyone. We're glad that you're here or joining us online. We are beginning a new series called Different. And uh, today's topic is different faith in trials. We'll talk about something different each week. It's actually going to be a study in a, of a book in the Bible, a letter in the Bible, called First Peter. And one of the major themes, I want to tell you two of the major themes <laughs> of First Peter are this. Uh, first is hope that we have in Christ. I've, I don't know about you, but I've noticed in our culture with less and less focus on, on uh, Christ, there seems to be less and less hope, doesn't there? And that's not by accident. So Peter wants to talk to us about hope. He also wants to talk to us about being different, instructions for us to be different. Now, who wrote First Peter? It's not a trick question. <laughs> Peter, right? Peter wrote, uh, wrote this letter, and he wrote it around, um, not sure exactly, around 63 AD. And uh, we need to tell you a little bit of background about what's going on in the world at that time. Now, we sometimes think of Peter as being uh, maybe not real intelligent because he wasn't real educated. But I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people that don't have a lot of education that are really intelligent, and so is Peter, I believe. In fact, my, my dad would fit in that category. My sister's here. I think he went to the fifth grade. He was an intelligent person. He just didn't go to school uh, a lot. Same with my mom. So Peter was a sharp guy and uh, has a, so a deep insight in, into Christianity, and we see it in, in his letters. Um, he's writing to... The church in that day, and the church, the Christians in that day were really hurting, they were suffering, they were being persecuted extremely, because who was, anybody know who the emperor was then? Of Rome? It was Nero, and I don't know what stories you've heard about Nero, but Nero was a really wicked guy. They believe he killed his mother, his first wife, and possibly his second wife, for example. He, most historians believe he burned down the city of Rome. The reason he did that was he wanted to have this, he had this lust for building, and the, and the, the Senate wouldn't let him do it, so he caused them. And the fire burned for six days, then it had a break and burned for three more days, basically burned down the city of Rome. Now, he didn't want to take the blame, of course, so when you're being blamed for something and you don't want to receive the blame, what do you do? Blame somebody else. Exactly. You point your finger somewhere else. That's exactly what he did. And there's this group of people in the Roman Empire at this time known as Christians or Christ followers. And they were already being persecuted, so he figured they would be a perfect scapegoat. And he, they got blamed uh, for the fire. And so Nero did, did horrible things to, to Christians. Uh, one historian talks about him getting an animal pelt and putting it around a Christian and put him in a cage with a bunch of dogs and watch the dogs uh, just uh, tear, tear into that uh, human being, that Christian. Another thing he did, he would dip Christians in wax and hang them up on a tree and set them on fire to light up his evening entertainment. Just horrible, horrible things. And so this is what's going on in the Roman Empire as far as the church is concerned. Uh, the Christians were spread out, which turned out to be a good thing because Christianity spread out, but terrible persecution. And this is the people that Peter is writing this letter to. 
Now, specifically, it's to two groups of people. People that are hurting, people that are being persecuted today, people that are facing trials and tribulations. The other group of people that are, life's going pretty good now because guess what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month? Because the trials come and go, don't they? And so he's writing basically to all of us. Now, the interesting thing to me is that Christianity in the United States isn't persecuted like it is in most of the world. And so we tend not to have the sense of urgency that Peter is addressing. So let's begin with chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. This is the key word here. Foreigners in the providence of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right. Foreigner, uh, foreigners. All kinds of translations of this word. I'll give you some examples. Different, tra- different Bible translations translate it differently. So give you a sense of what the word foreigner might mean. Uh, first, it translated foreigners in this translation. Uh, I don't know if you've ever considered yourself a foreigner. Um, you don't have to go overseas to do that. I remember when I was in seminary, and I went to seminary in North Carolina. And believe it or not, they made fun of the way I talked in North Carolina. Some of you live in North Carolina now, right? <laughs> Did they make fun of the way you talk? I don't know. They made fun of the way I talk. Um, kind of crazy, right? I w- was different. I was uh, a stranger to them. Uh, I was also a sojourn- sojourner because I didn't stay there. I was just in, in school there. Uh, kind of, most of you know we are missionaries in Portugal. If you go to another country, you're definitely a foreigner, right? They talk a different language. They think differently. They act differently. They dress differently. They eat differently. In fact, I remember one time we, we, I was pastoring, and my wife invited the family for dinner. And uh, she made spaghetti. Everybody loves spaghetti, right? Anyway, this whole family, none of them wanted to put what we call tomato sauce on the, on the noodles. They just ate these plain noodles. So my wife felt really bad. But we were foreigners. In fact, they, they could tell we were foreigners when we first went into the country, even before we talked. We just look different, right? Um, so Peter starts off this letter by saying, okay, fellow Christians, fellow believers, you and I are foreigners. We're out of place here. We act different. We are sojourners. We're just passing through. We're not, we're not staying in this world. Uh, we're, we're like strangers. This is not our home, is one way it was referred to. This is not our home. We're just visiting. We're just passing through. Consequently, we are going to be different than the people here. How are we going to be different? We're going to be different the way we act, the way we think. We're going to have different values. We're going to be different fathers and different mothers and different husbands and different wives and and different community members. We're going to be different. Why? Because, again, this is not our home. So then he goes on. Most of these ancient Greek letters had these long introductions, and this one does also. But it's interesting what Peter writes. Verse 2. God the Father, notice in this verse we have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. What's the word holy mean? Holy means set apart or different, all right? So because of the Spirit of God, we are 
different or set apart. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by his blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more. Notice what he says here. More and more what? Grace and peace. Now, again, they're living in it under extreme persecution. And Peter says, may God give you more grace to sustain you and peace in the midst of it. Um, God came to us while we were yet sinners, right? Christ died for us. He took the initiative. Next verse goes on. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. Salvation, new birth. You're born again. Um, A new beginning. In fact, we would say spiritually, life from death. The wage of sin is death, but now we, we are alive. And then he uses that word hope. We talked about one of the major themes. Into a living hope. That's a cool phrase, right? Not just hope, but living hope, active hope, uh, encouragement, expectation, positive expectation. Of course, what's it come through or for? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the source of of all our hope. Text goes on. We have a priceless inheritance. You ever inherited anything? I've inherited some things. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's some material things. None of them priceless. Now, they might feel priceless to you, you know, family heirlooms, but they're really not priceless, right? But we are going to receive a priceless, you can't put a price on it, inheritance. What is it? Well, it's an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you and I, if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not, we're glad that you're joining us, and hopefully you will be soon. It's pure and undefiled. Now, nothing on this earth is pure and undefiled, right? But this inheritance will be or is, it's beyond the reach of change and decay. And I thought about that. Two certainties in life, right? Change and decay. Our bodies are decaying, our possessions are decaying, and things are constantly changing. Heaven's not going to be like that. Nothing's going to change because if you have perfection, you don't want change, right? So that's, he's writing to these, again, this is the inheritance. I know it's tough right now, but you've got this priceless inheritance coming. Then the text goes on, and through your faith, God is protecting you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Some of us are being burned and torn apart by animals. God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation or the completion of salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. And you're in God's presence, right? No matter what happens here, you have this priceless inheritance that's guaranteed that you're going to receive it in full, at end of time. So, consequently, what should we do? We said, so be truly, what? Glad. Now, I'm not, I'm not giggling, and that's not what he's talking about because I'm being persecuted. I can be glad because I'm a sojourner here. I'm passing through. This is not my home. No matter how tough it gets, I've got this to look forward to. All of us have been to school. I don't know how much education you have. And maybe you liked school, maybe you didn't. But the education was to get to the next thing, right? Or some of you, we sometimes use the illustration. Have any of you ever been in a, in a production? Some of our kids and grandkids in a production. They practice and practice and practice. Why? For the 
real thing. So we're just practicing here for the real thing, which is eternity. <clears throat> so there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure how many trials? Many. It's not just a few. You know, oh, I got through that. We won't have to worry for it for a while. No, many, many. But this is only a short while. No matter how long you live on this earth, it's just a short while. So, does all this pain and suffering and trials have a purpose? Absolutely. But one of the purposes, John, Peter's going to tell us here. He says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Oh, so, I go through a trial, I can really find out if I truly believe, if I truly have faith, if I'm truly saved or not. It's a good, good thing to find out, right? So if you have genuine faith, you also, what's the opposite? You must be able to have what? False faith, right? And as a pastor, this is obviously a big concern, especially since, since COVID. Um, some people disappeared. Never came back. I'm not saying they're not all believers, but some of them, I would say, are not believers. They didn't have true faith. I'm going to give you three groups of people, three types, I'm going to call them three types of, of false faith. The first one is this, I'm going to call inherited faith. Inherited faith. But you can't inherit faith. That's the problem. Right? God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. So maybe you grew up going to church. Your parents took you. Um, maybe you did some you know, confirmation or joined the church, got baptized, whatever it might be. And then you grew up and kind of just kind of left it. But if anybody's going to ask you if you're a Christian, you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Buddhist. I'm not an atheist. I'm a Christian. Do I exemplify anything about Christianity? No. So it's a, not a real faith. It's a quote-unquote, inherited faith. Another type of faith is what I call a shallow faith. Now, Jesus talked about this specifically. Jesus would tell stories. We call them parables, right? <clears throat> and the problem is, he didn't always explain them. So he told this story and just left it there, and you had to figure out what he meant. But this one parable I want you to look at with me this morning is fantastic because Jesus, the disciples got, didn't have a clue what Jesus was talking about. And he said, okay, okay, I'll explain it to you. So I'm not going to read the parable. I'm going to read the explanation to you. And it's in, in uh, Matthew 13. Actually, he, 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 uh, the story is recorded, then the explanation is recorded, and then some more explanation is recorded. But we'll just look at the middle part. So this is about this guy that goes out and sows seed. Now, they sowed seed by just throwing it back then. They didn't plant it in rows like we do. Right? So consequently, some of it fell all different places. So he says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those that hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Right? You ever share the gospel with somebody and uh, it just kind of went like this? It was like they didn't understand it at all. And it, no matter how clear you were about it, it seemed like we should be able to understand it. It's just some people don't get it. The devil comes along and snatches away the seed and is planted in their hearts. <clears throat> the second soil he represents, he calls the shallow soil. Or in this translation, it says the rocky soil. So the seed on the rocky soil, <clears throat> excuse me, next verse, represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. 
All right? Hey, that's great. Jesus died for me. I repent of my sins. I'll have salvation, eternal life. Well, that's exciting. But it doesn't last. What happens? But since they don't have deep roots, that's just kind of a surface idea, surface belief. They don't last long. They fall away, and as soon as they have troubles or persecution, of course, we're talking about a time when the severe persecution uh, for believing God's Word. And so, like I said, some of those people, not in our church, all the churches, they were here before COVID aren't here anymore. Why? They had shallow faith. They didn't have deep roots. Not all, but some of them. We'll talk about this next one in a little bit, but the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries and of this life and the lure of wealth. So consequently, there's no fruit produced. So the Christian should produce fruit. Genuine faith should produce fruit. And none of these examples produce fruit. But the, one example does. The seed that fell on the good soil, right? Represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest 36 or even 100 times as much as been planted. Sometimes you get asked about how to be close to God. And the obvious answer is prayer and Bible study and going to church. But I truly believe the best way to get closer to God, the way I get closer to God, among those other reasons, is my small group. Actually, I'm in two small groups. <laughs> All right? And, um, I think I grow more, I am closer to God, I mature more by interacting with those folks in my small group. And some of you are here. Anything else? In fact, the early church, how did it start out? They met in what? House to house. And I have a pretty nice house. Their houses weren't big like my house and some of your houses. They were small houses, so they were small groups. But their faith grew deep as they struggled through the trials and persecution together. We say doing life together. Third type of false faith is what I'm going to call conditional faith. Kind of that example about the, 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 the money and the cares of this world. Kind of took the seed away, right? You know, Christianity was fine when things were going good, but now things aren't going good. So God thanks, but no thanks if this is what it means to be a Christian. Now, any of these can become genuine faith. That's the good news. So let's talk a little bit about trials. How does God use our trials? All have trials, right? Life's easy, isn't easy. Life's tough. Give you two, re two ways he uses it. First is they reveal our faith. We just talked about false faith, well, genuine faith. So the text goes on. We already read the part of verse 7. These trials will show your faith is genuine. It's being tested. Here's an example. As fire tests and purifies gold. Now, somebody in the first service told me that the gold melts at a higher temperature. So when you got ore with gold in, um, the other minerals in it will, will, when you heat it up, will melt away and eventually you'll end up with just gold. And that's what makes it really valuable, right? And so he says, he uses this as an example for us. That these trials will are like fire to gold. They're going to get away, you know, burn away the stuff in our lives that aren't important, so we can be purified. And he says, our faith is more 
precious than mere gold. See, God's more concerned about us than He is about gold. And then He goes on. So when your faith remains strong through these many trials, right? It gets deeper. It grows. It will bring, now notice what He says here, much praise and glory and honor on that day to you. It will bring you, excuse me, much praise, glory, and honor on that day. Now, we will we always want to give praise and glory and honor to God, but there's a time coming when you and I will receive that also, the way Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So, Peter's saying, these trials are useful. They can do something good in you. They can burn away that stuff that's not important so you can be purified. It should bring you confidence and courage as you go forth with your faith. I put on your outline this. A faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that's not been tested can't be trusted. I don't know how good of an illustration this is, but I, if I have a big box up here, I don't know if I can lift it up or not, right? Because my muscles haven't been tested by that weight. So if I put it down and pick it up, I know I can. my muscles have been tested with that weight, whatever that weight is. So, same thing with our faith. It's got to be tested. And that's what trials do. And then it can grow. Interesting conversation Jesus had with Peter close to the end of his life. Um, just want to look at it quickly and make a comment. Simon, Simon, or Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you, meaning all the disciples, like wheat. Now, interesting to me that Satan and Jesus had a conversation evidently. And so what's Jesus' response to Satan? He says, well, I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. All right? Satan wants to do this. Maybe he's going to do this. But I'm praying for you, Simon. What? What's his prayer? Is your faith should not fail. Is his faith going to fail? We knew. We know because it's after the fact. But Jesus knew ahead of the fact because what does he say? So when you have repented, you don't need to repent unless you failed, right? He says, so when you have repented and turned to me. Of course, the greatest example in Peter's life is when he denies Christ three times, right? And he repents of that. And he says, when you repent of that and return to me, strengthen your brothers. And that's exactly what happened to Peter, wasn't it? So Jesus was resurrected. He leaves this earth and Ten days later, the church begins. The Holy Spirit comes and the church begins. Now, who gets to preach the first sermon at the first church? Peter does. And was he successful? I call successful. 3,000 people got saved. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times. But he repented. And then he strengthened his brothers. So he, he's saying to you, you're going to be tested, Peter. You and I, we're going to be tested. And sometimes we're, we're not going to not get it. We're not going to make it. We're going to fail. But we can repent. We can grow. We can be transformed. Because Peter was transformed, right? And he's transformed at the point when he's writing this letter. James, a half-brother of Jesus, he wrote a letter. It always fascinates me. I don't know what you want to put at the beginning of a letter, but here's what Peter, James puts at the beginning of his letter. Consider it pure joy. Oh, that's a good start, right? My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
right off the bat, talks about trials. Because, why? Because you know the testing of your faith produces something good. It produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God's doing something, or He wants to do something, when you and I go through trials. One thing is going to reveal our faith if it's false or genuine. The other thing it can do is this. It can draw us closer to God. Draw us closer to God. And that's what Peter says in the next couple of verses. Uh, what verse is this? Uh, verse 8, I believe. Yes. You, meaning us Jesus followers, again, if you're not, we're glad that you're here or joining us. You love him even though you've never seen him. Okay, Jesus followers here. How many of you have seen him? Nobody. I haven't seen him either. You love him. You love him? Yeah, you love him. Have you seen him? No. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. Do you trust him? That's why you're Jesus follower, right? You trust him. And you rejoice with glorious and inexpressible joy. Not because of circumstances, not because of trial, but because of the fact, God, I can trust you. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. Sometimes we call it the gospel. The gospel. What's the gospel mean? It means good news. Good news. Now, so is the good news, if you're a Jesus follower, hey, you're not going to have any problems. Life's going to be easy. Is that the good news? No, what's the good news? I'll put it on your outline. That's not the good news that God's going to save us from our trials. In fact, you may have more trials as a Jesus follower than you did before you became one. But what is the good news? The good news is that God saves us from our sins. So God never said, oh, you won't have problems. You won't have marital problems. You won't have problems with your kids. You won't, you'll have problems with, with your parents. You'll have problems at work. You'll have problems with your health. You'll have financial problems. He didn't say we wouldn't have problems, any of those problems, did he? He just said, trust me, and I will save you for your sins. I want to end with this. Um, some people throw around this phrase, and it kind of bothers me a little bit. God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that one? Maybe you've used it. All right. It's based on a scripture verse. But I want you to pay attention if this verse actually says that. All right? It's in 1 Corinthians. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He'll also provide a way out so you can endure it. Now, does that verse say that God will not give you more than you can handle? What do you think? I don't think so. In fact, I think just the opposite, and I put this on your outline. God, God often allows us to have more than you can handle. Why? Do you have to depend on Him? We talked, I don't know, it was a week or two ago about Paul and his thorn in the flesh. Wasn't that the conclusion? Ah, no, I need you weak. Because when you're weak, God is saying, I am strong. Sometimes God's got to get us so low that all we can do is look up to Him, right? And it should be joy. Been married a long time and lived a long time, I guess, getting there. And sure, we all have had plenty of trials, right? 
And my wife and I, yeah, difficulties, deaths in the family, and so forth. But we ever lose our joy? Ever lose our peace? Because we can trust Him. So on your outline, I think this is last. Our faith is not in what we see. It isn't. Right? Our faith is in who God is. So if you're hurting now or you're going to be hurting soon, going through a difficulty, a trial, persecution, whatever it might be. Remember, two, two big purposes are it reveals your faith. Yeah, yeah. Even this is a tough situation. God, I'm still trusting you. In fact, it's drawing me closer to you. There is a, 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 on the Bible app a plan called Different. And basically just read it each, if you want to do it for five days, you basically read the chapters in, in First Peter. Uh, if you go there, there's actually devotions that you can uh, plug in. All right? And we'll continue, I think, in chapter one again next week about being different. Let me pray with you. Uh, thank you, thank you, God, <laughs> that we are different. It's a good difference, not a weird difference, hopefully not too weird. Because um, we can have joy and peace in the midst of trial. Sure, we might be have some persecution we wouldn't otherwise have, but we weren't Christians. But our faith can grow, and our relationship with you can grow, and we become more mature and and more, I guess, confident, more steady. And so as the trials come, they don't, you know, they don't drag us down as much as when we were younger. And we claim the promise that you've overcome the world, God, through Jesus. And so the victory is ours. We pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower. We're, we're so glad that you, you're here or listening or watching. And we'd encourage you to just think. Is your faith genuine? Do you have a faith? Is it genuine? If not, why not? How can it be true? By faith. Can't see Him, but you can trust Him. Not only for now and for this world, but for eternity. I pray you to make that decision. We thank you, God, that you're present here, you're present with us, and you go with us when we leave this place. Let our lives be a testimony to you and your grace. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.